you will arrive at that place called there. Mm. And I just believe God is going to speak some things to you. And you're going to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And you, like Taffy and I, will find yourself just sitting in places and started weeping because you've realized how much you love Jesus and how much he's done for you. So if you would, just for a moment, just lift your hands up. Father, we, we, we come into this time together. We love you so much, Jesus. And I thank you that every ear is anointed to hear. Every heart is anointed to receive. Father, speak through my vocal cords. Think through my mind. Uh, as we gather today, the gathering of champions and the, the gathering of eagles. We choose supernatural over superficial. And Father, we give you glory today. We welcome a tangible presence of your anointing. That every man or woman that's here today will be escorted into another level, another place. And may your anointing just begin to flow and drip from them and into the lives of others who need burdens removed and yokes destroyed. And Lord, bless this man and woman of God of this house. We're so honored today and so humbled. And we ask in Jesus' name that all that we have, we give unto to them. We give unto our family here. And I declare restore everything that was lost and everything that was stolen. And we praise you for it now. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. Um, let's, let's begin in the book of some I say, boy, you just get right into it. Yeah, let's let's go. Let's begin in the book of Second uh, Timothy, chapter two. It's always interesting in how you approach something that's so radical, and you will notice this morning that your your spirit will have no problems with what you hear. Your spirit already is there. But you're going to notice you're going to have a fight with your head. Religion is a very interesting thing. And I know the Bible talks about good religion. But the Latin term of religion, it simply means to return to bondage. And when I saw that, it it caused me to really think, what? Uh, That last suffix part of that word in Latin means to bind. And then the prefix part of it means, you know, to do it again or to repeat, to bind again or to return to a bondage. And so there's only one way I can do this today, and that is to be radical. There's only one way I I can't be careful. I have to be radical first and then we can be careful later. Okay, and during the questions time, I'll be more careful, but it's 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 got to be radical. And it's got to penetrate what your brain is going to try to do to fight what you're going to hear. And not just what you're going to hear, but what you're going to see. In this first session, we're going to cover about 40 scriptures. 
because you have to see this. So let's let's start off with what we know. Second Timothy chapter two and verse 15. Second Timothy chapter two and verse 15. Um, you know, I'm going to need my little uh, my, uh, my, my, my amplified Bible in that big Bible outside in the car. Get that for me. Um, verse 15 says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth rightly divided oh cool i ain't got to read this bible oh great all around me yeah i love it <laughs> hey tell him i don't tell him i'm good i don't need nothing i'm good they, they thought of everything now the amplified says here study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to god approved tested by trial a workman who has no cause to be ashamed correctly analyzing, accurately dividing, rightly handling, and skillfully teaching the word of truth. But what happens when you don't rightly divide it? What happens if it's not correctly analyzed? And what's the basis of it being correctly analyzed? As people who minister the word, we watch over people's souls and, and part of their souls is the way they think. So the way a person thinks will determine how he believes. And how he believes will determine how he lives. And how he lives is ultimately going to be determined, going to be determined by what we're saying. It's going to be determined by if we're rightly dividing, correctly analyzing and skillfully teaching. So it's no longer getting up in front of people and just kind of just blurting stuff out because we've heard people say this and it sounds good and it generates emotions and it generates excitement because Whatever you said entered into their ears, entered into their thinking. The way you think determines how you believe and how you believe determines how you live. And ultimately, it's on us. Amen. The way people live, it's on us. That's an awesome responsibility. It's a responsibility that when I think about it, I don't want to have to stand before God and give an account on what I said that determined how they begin to think, that determined how they're living that's not all on them. It's, it's, what, it's how they lived and the preacher that watched over their soul. So looking at this, all of a sudden, this became a pretty top issue in my life. Very, uh, this is a key thing. This, this, it's no longer me just getting in the pulpit and just blurting out things and not knowing if it was rightly divided, correctly analyzed. So I went on a journey. How does this work? It's got to be more than my commentaries in my office. It's got to be more than me looking at the Greek and the Hebrew. I got to take this body of work called the Bible. And I got to understand the whole thing. See, I can't get rid of the old covenant in favor of the new covenant. I got to understand that the things that were written aforetime were written... Uh, so that we can, through those things, learn and have hope. 
I got to understand that when I understand the new covenant of grace, I now have the correct glasses to look at something in the old covenant that's going to give me more understanding about the new covenant. I've got to begin to look at this thing that this is the shadow over here in the old covenant, but the very object that produced that shadow is Jesus. I got got a lot to put together. So it's no longer just some guy who's half cocked and goes up and says, well, I've been called to preach and he goes out and he just starts saying stuff and becoming a part of promoting the return to bondage. Do I have your attention? So if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, I now present to you the place where it's got to be done. I want to show you something very interesting in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and um, verse 1 through 3. I, I, I thought, well, how do I start this today? I want to start with something that we all are very clear about, everything, something that we all know about. We all understand Jesus and his death on the cross and shedding of the blood on the cross. But could it be that we are living life as if Jesus never died on the cross? Could it be that we are preaching a gospel as if Jesus never went to the cross and shed his blood? Now, for most of you like me, we would say absolutely not. But could it be that we are requiring of people to meet requirements that have changed as a result of Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood? So before we really talk about grace, let's look at the requirements before Jesus went to the cross versus the requirements after Jesus went to the cross. And let's see if we can see the difference and then come back and answer, that, answer the question I just asked. Notice in verse 1, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, and it shall come to pass, I want you to underline these two words, if thou. And it shall come to pass, if thou shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Verse two. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. Here it is again. If thou, underline that again, shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shall thou be in the city and blessed shall thou be in the field. And notice what he says. He says the blessing coming on your life is going to be based on if you do something first, then the blessing will be able to come second. Even where the curse is concerned, if you look at verse 15, even where the curse is concerned, Deuteronomy 28, 15. It identifies in verse 15 that the curse comes on you also based on if thou. Look what he says. But it shall come to pass if thou. There it is again. If thou will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee if thou. Here's the same old covenant pattern. It says if you do something first then it enables for something to be done second. And if you don't do something first, 
it enables for something else different to come on you second. But in both cases of the blessing and the curse, it's based on you first. Then the consequences or the blessings of what you do first follows what you do first. It follows what you do first. Now, according to what we just just read, the blessing comes, the requirement of the blessing, this is, this is radical. The requirements of the blessing, according to Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 3, the requirement of the blessing is your obedience first. That's the requirement of the blessing. Now, the reason why I said, could we be preaching the gospel as if Jesus not died on the cross? I've heard people preach that recently in the, in the pulpit. Now, now, follow me very carefully now. There, there are certain questions that should come up in your mind. For example, if by the end of the day, the question doesn't come up in your mind, is he trying to give us a license to sin? If that doesn't come up, I'm not preaching this right. Okay. Now, this is the requirement for the blessing before Jesus went to the cross. But that's not the same requirement for the blessing after he went to the cross. So now let's go to Galatians chapter three and look at the requirements of the blessings after the cross. Galatians three, verse 13 and 14. Dear God, I'm so excited about being here. I can bite the back out of your chair. Oh, glory to God. The devil is so in trouble. He is so in trouble. I mean, you are going to beat the snot out of him after today. Oh, glory to God. Galatians chapter 3, 13. Now, what is the requirement for the blessing after the cross? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone that hangeth on the tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Notice how the blessing comes on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So after the cross, the bless, the requirements for the blessing, this is awesome. The requirement for the blessing after the cross is a requirement of what he did first to enable me to have second. So now what did he do first? Well, look at, uh, I think, Romans 5, verse 19. Now, I'm, I'm giving you all the pieces. I'm going to put it all together, but I want you to see all the pieces. Romans 5, 19. What did he do? He says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, first question was, what act of your own did you do to deserve to be made a sinner? I mean, did the egg have a fight with the sperm and it came out a sinner? What did you do to be made a sinner? You were born a sinner, but what did you do to be born a sinner? Nothing. You were born a sinner by the actions of one man, right? Yes. You were born a sinner by the actions of one man. His name is Adam, right? So that they wasn't, it wasn't anything you did to be born a sinner. It was what Adam did and you were born a sinner. So likewise, what did you do? What actions of your own did you do to be made righteous? No, it wasn't, was it because you went to church every Sunday? Was it because you prayed nine hours a day? What, what actions of your own did you do to be made righteous? You didn't. It was what Jesus did. Jesus, it was his actions and you believing his actions. It was, what, it was by the actions of one man that made you righteous. 
So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. By one man's obedience, you were made righteous. You were made righteous because of what Jesus did. Everything about this life of grace is all based on what he did first to enable you to have second. Through his perfect obedience, first, you were made righteous second. Now, I know people like to think they did something to become righteous. <laughs> But all the stuff you could have done wouldn't have worked if he hadn't did that first. What he did first enabled you second. All right, now, let's, let's put this together. Am I saying by any means that obedience is not important? Obedience is very important. The issue is you trying to be obedient without Jesus. Eventually, you're going to be disobedient. In some area in your, in your life, eventually, you're going to fail in that particular area. But Jesus will never fail. Jesus' obedience was perfect. And through his perfect obedience, first, he enables us to be able to be obedient second. And by our faith and belief in what he did first, enables us to receive the blessing through him second. I can't get blessed by keeping the requirements of the old covenant. I'm blessed by believing in Jesus. And my blessing comes through Jesus. And not only does my blessing come through Jesus, but I can now be enabled to be obedient in areas that it was hard and difficult to be obedient when I recognized that his perfect obedience first has enabled me to be obedient second. So after the cross, it was all about what Jesus did first, enabling you to be able to do second. The order changed. After the cross, it's not you first. After the cross, it's Jesus first. After the cross, it is what he did to enable you. Before the cross, it was what you do to enable God. So if you don't do first, then God can't do second. And if you do this wrong thing, then that thing gonna happen second. After the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross, that was, the, that was wiped away. You are now under new requirements. It is what Jesus has done for you. And what has Jesus done for you? Everything. It's what he has done for you. And now you believe that what he does first enables you to be able to do second. Now, this is the principle. I'm now going to go through the word and, to, you know, the Bible says out of mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. I'm going to take some of the things that you know about and things that you've heard and the things we've all taught. And I'm going to challenge all of those things with this principle of God first enabling you to do second versus you doing something first enabling what God do second. And then I'm going to show you where God made a new covenant. And in the new covenant, he says, I'm not making this covenant where you get to determine what I do. In other words, I'm going to show you where God is going to say that your faithfulness is no longer a part of the equation. You ready for this journey now? I told you it can only come out radical now. Now, now right now you should be experiencing that battle I was talking about. Your, your spirit, get it, but your head. <laughs> and that's why I got to show you all these scriptures because your head like, huh, huh. Now, so the requirements for the blessing has changed. Before the cross, you see very clearly what the requirements was. 
After the cross, you see the requirements have changed. Now, let's look at a, let's start slow. Let's look at this issue of eternal life. What are the requirements? Well, let's look at, first of all, in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, 16 through 17, because now there's a new, new issue coming up here just because it's in Matthew. Because people told me if you just read the red and, and do what the red says, you'll be all right. Some of that red stuff you got to rightly divide. <laughs> Verse 16. So what's the requirements for eternal life? What's the requirements for salvation? Okay. All right. Now let's look at it before the cross. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Question. Look at the answer. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. All right. Now, the question was before the cross, you see Jesus here. He had not yet gone to the cross. The question was, what do I need to do to have eternal life? What's the answer based on what you read? Keep the commandments, right? That was that was the right answer. Before the cross, before the cross, you had to keep the commandments before the cross. If you wanted to have eternal life, keep the commandments first and you'll get eternal life second. But did the requirements change after the cross? Well, let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. You know, the story book of Acts 16, 31, Paul and Silas are in jail. They begin to pray and and an earthquake shook the jail and the jail doors opened and. And then, and then the jailer, jailkeeper was freaking out. Oh my God, they're surely going to kill me. And, and notice what happens here. Verse 30, he says, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be what? Saved. Similar question to what we just read. What must I do to be saved? But let's look at the, the answer, the requirement. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. And if your house believes on the Lord Jesus, like you believe on the Lord Jesus, then they'll be saved too. Now I said that because there's been this, this, um, this thought that if I believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved, then my family will automatically be saved. No, you believe on the Lord Jesus to be saved and your family got to believe the same way you believe in order to be saved. All right. They don't go in on your coattail. Okay. Notice what he said here. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 and you shall be saved. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is awesome here. He's saying, this is the requirement for salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. First, you believe on what Jesus did first. What, what happens? That enables salvation. Second, before the law or before he went to the cross, it was all about you keep the commandments first. Watch this. And you have eternal life. Second. And yet there's still people that are telling folks. If you're going to be saved, you got to keep these commandments. You got to do this. 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 You got to do that. You got to do that. And we're preaching requirements before the cross as if Jesus never died. But the requirements after the cross is believe what Jesus did and you shall be saved. See, we've got to straighten some things up because. And, and I'll get around this later uh, and, and either I'll get around or you ask questions about it later. But do you understand people don't go to hell because of sin? Mm-hmm. 
Because I'm going to put you on the spot today because, you know, I love people when they ask questions. Yeah, well, what about sin? My next question is, what about your sin? (laughs) Because we have defenders of the law who think they can do something they're not doing even right now. And and one of the things we want to look at, the fact is that, okay, well, people, if they don't go to hell because of sin, well, why do they go to hell? Because they reject Jesus. They reject the only one who, who, was, who, who had enough to pay your sin debt. And when you reject Jesus, this is a radical statement. And I, I don't know, maybe I might regret saying it so early. But you, um, if you don't believe in Jesus, then what can Jesus do for you if you don't believe him? He can't help you, right? You don't believe. You don't even believe in forgiveness, right? I tread very softly about saying this. This is radical. Jesus took care of everything on the cross, except there was one thing he could not take care of. This free moral agency he's given you, he's given you the right to choose to believe or not believe. So belief can be repented of unbelief can be repented of unbelief can be repented of unbelief can be repented of but unbelief cannot be forgiven of how you're in unbelief if you change your mind about unbelief and get back to belief then everything's taken care of but if you decide to be in unbelief how can god forgive you or something you don't even forgive it you don't even you don't even you don't even believe in it Unbelief is so powerful. When you decide not to believe something, God's like, I can't do nothing. Because you don't believe. So the only way to deal with unbelief, watch this, is to change your mind about it. That's what repent means. To change your mind, to change your position, and then get in belief, and then everything that needs to be taken care of has been taken care of by the blood of Jesus. So you still trying to help people that God can't even help. Until they get to a place where they say, I believe. And of course, all the things you do to try to get them to believe, that's going to be the key thing. But belief is a necessity where this covenant of grace is concerned. You have to believe it. All right. What I'm doing is, is I'm trying to show people enough evidence to get them to change their mind. All right. So you saw right here the clear, clear, very clear evidence, very clear evidence you saw here. Um, Man, these guys are good on the screen. Dear God, I love this stuff, man. (laughs) I mean, they're getting the definitions out there and everything. Praise Jesus. I feel chill bumps when I sit up there and read that. All right, look at here. All right, now. Let's move into something a little bit more. You see the difference, you know, commandments before the cross, believe in Jesus after the cross. All right, now let's, 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 let's go a little, little, little deep here. What about forgiveness versus unforgiveness? Forgiveness versus unforgiveness. Look at the book of Mark chapter 11, 26. Now there are a couple of things you're going to see here. I want you to see the old covenant pattern right here spoken out of the mouth of of, of Jesus. But if you 
What, what should that tell you? This is going to be based on you. If you do not forgive first, neither will your father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses second. Is that the pattern of the old covenant? Is that the pattern of the requirements before the cross? All right. Let me show you one more. Uh, um, Mark 6, verse 14 through 15. Mark 6, verse 14 through 15. And King Herod of him for his name. Let's see. Am I in Mark 6? Make sure I'm in the right. Matthew 6, excuse me. Matthew 6, 14, 15. Matthew 6, 14, 15. For if you, there it is again. Forgive men their trespasses. Your heavenly father will also forgive you. Notice it's based on what you do. For if you, if you forgive not men of their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. Now, verse 15. But if you forgive not, if you forgive not their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Second. Now, here's the fascinating thing, the thing that blew my mind. I said, but Jesus said that. Here is Jesus promoting the pattern of the old covenant. Why? Because while Jesus was walking on the earth, the law, the old covenant was still valid while he was walking on the earth. And Jesus was still dealing on the level of the law, according to Galatians, that he was sent to those who were under the law. To minister to them about the law to set them free from it. But at this particular time, he's on the earth. So the old covenant is valid. And Jesus is is speaking according to the, the pattern of the old covenant before he went to the cross. Now, what does that do for us as leaders to teach Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and not rightly divide between when Jesus is talking before the cross versus when Jesus is talking after the cross? Then we'll get up and we'll say, Jesus said this and not realize, yeah, but he said that before the cross. He said that when the law was valid and it was true then and it was a requirement then. Now, imagine you teaching that that way and not knowing what we just did was rightly divided the word of truth. We asked the question, when did he say it? What time was it when he said it? Was it before the cross or after the cross? That's rightly dividing the word of truth. Because what what was true before the cross is no longer true after the cross. All right, now now let's follow this very carefully now. Let Let me set this up for you. Am I saying, am I saying that forgiveness is not an important item? Well, you know I'm not saying that. Because, listen, if people walk around in unforgiveness, it is still harmful to their life. It will cause stress. It will cause chronic disease. It will destroy relationships. Absolutely. So it's still important. But now watch this. Do you think it's the nature of God? When that person's already got enough burdens on their shoulders for us to show up at church and say, not only do you have that burden on your shoulder, but I want you to know something. If you don't forgive, God ain't going to forgive you. And I guarantee you, 
if you die in unforgiveness, you going to hell. Well, I've had people tell me that. I, I, I had certain relatives I had already put in hell because I knew they were in unforgiveness. I knew they died in unforgiveness. So if I knew they died in unforgiveness and the preacher was telling me now, they, they, they died in unforgiveness and that's why they're in hell or they, or they died because they had unforgiveness. Part of that is true because of the stress physically that can come. But now, there's some people who have a big problem with these two scriptures because of the egregious acts that they had to suffer. The man who kidnapped my aunt over 20 years ago and she was found in the trunk of a car, dead, murdered. 20 years later, this guy confesses to the crime. And I'm like, you mean to know, mean Tim, we know this guy? How did you deal with that? We found the guy that put her in the ground. And Jesus said, if you, if you, if you don't forgive first, God can't forgive you. I know people that quit the ministry. Well, I just can't forgive them. I'll just quit the ministry. Is that what he is saying? So let me ask you this question. When Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood, did that take care of the sin of uh, murder? Yep. When Jesus died and shed his blood on the cross, did it take care of the sin of lying? Yeah. When Jesus died and shed his blood on the, on the cross, did it take care of the sin of unforgiveness? Yes, sir. Huh? You don't sound sure. You, you, you were sure about murder. You were sure about murder. You were sure about lying. Did his blood take care of the sin of unforgiveness? Yes. So unforgiveness was already taken care of. It is important to forgive, but it's not good for us to not divide the word right and push this condemnation on people because that was a requirement before the cross and not recognize that there's a requirement after the cross. So what's the requirement after the cross? Look at Colossians chapter 3.13. Colossians chapter 3.13. Look at this, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know what he just said? Christ forgave you first, enabling you to be able to forgive second. Woo, boy. And look what else he did first. Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32. It's, it's, it, this, this, this new covenant, this after the cross is all about what Jesus did first to enable us. See, we're no longer by ourselves. Under the law, we were by ourselves. Under grace, we got Jesus's enablement and Jesus's empowerment. Verse 32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. He forgave you first so now you can forgive others second. I guarantee you, if you're in here right now and over the last few months you've been, you've been beating yourself up and, and, you know, and, and just, just, just condemning yourself because of some dumb decision you made and you found yourself doing some dumb thing or uh, I'm telling you, here's the deal. You're walking around with unforgiveness with yourself and you just can't seem to bring yourself to forgive yourself. Here's what I want you to recognize. Jesus has already forgiven you. Uh, you might as well go ahead and forgive yourself. You can forgive yourself. Why? Because he's already forgiven you. 
And the reason why he forgave you first is to enable and empower you to be able to forgive yourself second. But not only are you empowered to forgive yourself because he forgave you first, you're empowered to forgive everybody else because of, of what he did first. I was empowered to forgive that guy because Jesus forgave me first, empowering and enabling me to be able to forgive. Glory be to God. If it were not for what he did first, I would not be empowered to do what I do second. Boy, I tell you what, that'll set you free. And you can forgive what's ugly. You can forgive what's hurtful. You can forgive what's painful because you've been empowered by what he did first. See, I love this. It's like Jesus showed up to do everything we needed to enable us to be able to do all the stuff that he would request for you. Y'all don't mind me praying every now and then. I have to pray in time to work some stuff out. God, um, he will never require of us what he hadn't first of all equipped us with. Never. He will never require of anything from you that he hadn't first of all equipped you with the ability to do. So whatever he's called you to do, whatever he's asked you to do, whatever he moves on you to do, you need to know you're already equipped to do it. Yes, sir. God, does, God never calls anybody into anything without first equipping them. You're equipped. So whatever it is you're supposed to do, you're equipped. He's already done it first. He's already enabled you first. Now, let's go a little farther here. Let's look at Mark chapter 12, verse 30. This issue of love, I've always heard people, you know, talk about how much we need to love one another and, and how much we need to love God. But I never heard anybody talk about how much they need to believe that God loves them. Because if you don't believe God loves you, you probably have a hard time loving me. And if you don't believe God loves you, you're probably going to have a hard time loving God. What, what is the issue here? And I'm going to be very honest with you, very transparent with you, okay? Uh, verse 30 says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. That should have gotten my attention, but it didn't. It's the first commandment. And then look at the verse 31. He says, and the second is, is, is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now we're going to learn today that the law, the law was perfect. We were not. So he's asking us to do stuff that was perfect. The problem with the law is that you're trying to keep something that's flawless. And you're not. I'll show you today, the law still helps us out today. It, Paul used nine of the Ten Commandments to point out character things that we should be doing. First Timothy said that the law still benefits today for the lawless, those who won't get saved and believe. But I was praying this one day. I was out loud saying, Lord, I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my everything. And he said, do you? I heard that so loud in my spirit. You can't be religious when God speaks to you. Do you? And I said, I want to. Because it dawned on me, what I was saying religiously wasn't true. I didn't love him. What's this? This is huge. All of my heart. 
Now, I loved them with some of my heart. I had Taffy in there with another part of my heart. I had the kids in there with the other part of my heart. All of my soul, my mind, my thinker, my chooser. He wasn't, all, he wasn't the one that was on my mind all the time. My strength, which includes my strength, my finances. Was I loving him with all of my strength and finances? No. Not all. I mean, I, I wrote books on this. I did series on this. Love the Lord with all your heart. And I remember getting tired when I would do that. Lord, love you with all my heart. And I would look at the people when I preached that. they like, oh, they'd be like, mm-mm. <laughs> Because they knew, they just knew, unless you were religious, oh, hallelujah. But on the inside, you just knew that's just not true. Once God asked that question, do you? And I said, I want to. Once he did that, I recognized, first of all, this is impossible unless he equips me. Unless he, unless he gives me the Holy Spirit, which he did, Romans 5 and 5, he gave me the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit showed up, poured the love of God on the inside of me. Unless he gives me his love, how am I going to love the way he says love? Love your enemies? Are you kidding? How do you do that? I don't have the capacity in the natural without him to love my enemies. How to love when you hurt? How to love when you've been betrayed? And as leaders, you're going to have to have that because you're going to have all them hurt, betrayed, all that kind of stuff. You got to learn how to love past that. And I said, Lord, I, 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 yeah, I got a problem here. No, and what I said was I need grace. He says, I already given to you. First John 4, 19. Look what happened in first John 4, 19. So under the law, he was. This was a requirement, and, 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 and this determined everything under the law. Imagine, imagine before the cross trying to love without his enablement to love. But here's what set me free. We love him because he first loved us. You know why it's so important to know that he loved me first? He has now enabled me to have a supernatural love, to love above my ability to love to love above my ability to love notice the order changed he loved me first enabling me to love second and it's not you going around talking about how much you love God and how much you love one another and that can be true because you love God but let me show you something go to Deuteronomy chapter 1 this is I don't normally share this when I'm doing this teaching, but I'm, I promise the Lord today, whatever comes in my heart, I, I'm going to share. Deuteronomy chapter 1, I believe. And when you get to chapter 1, let me find this. I think it's in verse uh, 27. No, verse 26. 26 and 27. Let's start at 26. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. So my first question is, what is it that causes a person to rebel against God? What causes a person to rebel against his commandments? Look at this. He said, you murmured in your tents and you said, because the Lord hated us. He hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. You see the issue? They believe God hated them. 
They didn't believe God loved them. And when you don't believe in God's love, you won't believe in God's words. So if you don't believe God loves you, you sure won't believe that God will do what he said. How can you have faith in a God you don't believe love you? The most powerful thing you can do is to rehearse every day and to spend time every day telling yourself, I believe God loves me. God loves me with an unconditional. God loves me with an unfailing. God loves me with an everlasting love. I know God loves me. Oh, but God loves me. God love himself some cruffalo dollar. Now you got to get personal with it. You've got you to get to the point. I know God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I know you love me. You get to rehearsing that every day. And when things happen in your life, man, you, you won't even hesitate. Oh, God loves me. This will be corrected. Oh, God loves me. What he's promising his word, that'll come to pass. Oh, God loves me. Oh, absolutely. I'm healed already. Oh, God loves me. And all of a sudden, it's an issue of, watch this. Uh, it, it's an issue in, 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 in having faith in the love of God. Absolutely. Now, now I know the scripture says love worketh by faith. But, or excuse me, faith worketh by love. But in context, and you got to understand, you got to read the context of the New Testament and understand what we're saying about what Jesus did first in context. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to have faith in the love of God for you. You got to have faith in the love of God for you. And that's the issue. When you take things out of context, when you take the text out of context, you're left with the con. And you don't want to be con artists in the pulpit because you keep taking the text out of the context. It may sound real good with your thought. It may sound real good with what you're doing. But we've got to understand that if truth is going to be preached, we have to respect the context. Define things by the context. Let the context give you the definition of things. Read into what it says and don't try to read out of it something it doesn't say. Context. Context is the key. Context. Context is the key. You remember in, um, oh, I think it was in St. John where Jesus was talking about, um, I bought my assistant pastor with me so he can help me bring up scriptures that I forgot about where Jesus was talking about uh, if I be lifted up on the earth, from the earth, yeah, go there. Go to John twelve thirty two. Uh, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Everybody heard that scripture, right? Yeah, out of context. Uh, let's back up to verse 31. Because the and is there. Now look at the subject now. There's 31. And you keep backing up until you find the context. It begins, sometimes you have to back up two or three chapters. Sometimes you got to back up all the way to the first chapter and read it in context. Now is the judgment of this world. Bam. The subject here is the judgment of this world. The, the type of punctuation they use when they translate it is a, is a colon, which means it's going to now define or talk about the judgment of the world. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Still talking about judgment. And that's a conjunction connecting it with the scripture we just read. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all. Now, men is in italicized. It was in it was not included in the original language, but they added it by privilege of the translation. I'll draw all unto me. The all is referring to judgment. 
And if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all judgment unto me. I'll draw all men's judgment unto me. Did you see that? Because I asked, I said, if you've drawn all men unto you, how come they still some of them unsaved? <laughs> They're still unsaved. But you see the context. You can't lift that out of context and just go preaching religiously and saying, oh, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. And they, they tear the church up, but that's just wrong. The message in this is that Jesus on the cross drew on his body all the judgment that was to be on you is now on him. So now the judgment on him is not going to be on you. Oh, while I'm here, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I'm, I'm talking about context. I'm not finished here, but Hebrews uh, uh, 10, 25. Is that where I want to go? Let's see. 25. Let's try that. Yeah. All right, now watch this. The context of this whole scripture is talking about, dude, the way we used to get our sins taken care of, it's over. <laughs> now that Jesus has come. We don't need to be putting no more sacrifices out there because now we only have one sacrifice that'll get the job done. And so it talks about not, uh, do I want to read verse 24 first? Go, go to 24 and then we'll read on down there. All right. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no sacrifices for sins. Now I tell you what, have how many of you are in the pulpit and, and, and you know you done messed up and the preacher said, oh, ain't no more sacrifices for your sin. I guarantee you gonna be in hell by 12 o'clock. <laughs> it's not what he's, it's not, not, you, if you start at verse one, it's gonna be talking about the fact that things have changed. And in this verse, he is saying, now, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, what's the knowledge that the chapter talked about? The truth was that Jesus is now the final sacrifice and you don't need to sacrifice goats and animals anymore. He says, because those things just cover sin, but Jesus blood removes sin. And he says, now, if you keep going and sacrificing animals to try to take care of your sin, after you've come to the knowledge that Jesus is the sacrifice that removes sin, then there is, remaineth no more sacrifices for your sins. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about if you sin, then ain't, ain't no way God gonna forgive you no more. For if we will, if you sin willfully, that's what it is. Now, if you willfully sin, now, now it's, it's one thing to sin, but to willfully sin. <laughs> Listen, all sin is willful. All sin is willful. But dear God, the things I've seen and done with that scripture, 
If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, see, you know the truth. You know you weren't supposed to do that. That's not the truth he was talking about. He was talking about the truth of Jesus being the final sacrifice. So you don't need no more goats and bulls and, 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 and animals anymore. Isn't that free? Well, that comes because we now know how to rightly divide the word of truth. We know how to keep things in context. Now, some of you may think, well, what does that have to do with grace? It's everything. I just hadn't mentioned the word grace yet. Because <laughs> people, they freak out when you start off with grace. So I'm starting off with a place everybody know. The cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. His precious blood. Well, Brother Dollar, I think I got you on one, though. Your, your, your little, you know, you first versus God first. I got you on one, and it's in the area of money. What you're going to find out is no matter who you preach to, there are going to be two issues that people just try to make hard. And that is reconciling grace with sin and reconciling grace with money. Now, the Bible says you got to give, then it'll be given unto you. But you got to give first in order for it to be given unto you. Well, who told you that? Well, that's exactly what you did before the cross. Before the cross, the old covenant was about demands, demands, demands. It's about what you do first in order to be enabled to do something second. But did the requirement where giving is concerned, did the requirement of giving change after the cross where that is concerned? Of course it did. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Hopefully we'll get some time today to talk about giving out of necessity. The Bible says don't give out of necessity. Somebody said, what are you talking about? Well, I'm giving so I won't be cursed. Well, that's giving out of necessity. <laughs> well, I'm giving so I can be blessed. That's giving out of necessity. You're supposed to give out of a cheerful heart. And when you do that, you give more than you ever gave for in your life. I can't tell you the last time I gave a tenth. That's an insult to me and God and everybody else. As much as he's done for me, I wish I would give a tenth. I've given so much more over the tenth. I've given, so, I can't give a tenth no more. I got to give way over a tenth. Tenth don't do it for me no more. And that's what giving out of a cheerful heart does. Get a somebody. Yeah, that's a good thing to say. Anything that you get Anything that you teach in the extreme will lead to error. And, and it's easy to do. You pick out one little thing, you get excited about it, and you go to the extreme with it. For example, grace in the extreme will produce lasciviousness. No restraints. And even today, uh, you know, I've been around the world a little bit and I've, I've, I have met people who say I got the grace message. Oh, but you ain't got to pray no more. You ain't got to read the word no more. You ain't got to do none no more because we under grace. Well, now that's going to produce a passive Christian. But faith in the extreme will produce legalism. And now you're thinking that by faith, I'm going to make God do something. Anything you teach in the extreme is going to end up in error. Even somebody says, well, I'm delivered from the law. Now, if you teach that in the extreme, you're going to end up in error. 
Yeah, you are delivered from the law. You absolutely are. But you get to the extreme where you say, well, I'm delivered from the law and you're not learning for the thing. You're not learning from the things that were written aforetime. And now all of a sudden you start doing just any kind of thing because you deliver from the law. I guarantee you, you'll end up in some kind of sin. You'll end up committing adultery and then saying, well, I'm not under the law. Well, Brother Dollar, I can eat a pork sandwich and sit there and say, wow, and thank you, Jesus. Well, can you sit there and commit adultery and, and have sex with another woman and say, wow, thank you, Jesus? It's just a little different. You have to pay attention to those things that were written aforetime. They give hope. Even though you don't live by the law. But now that you have Jesus, faith in Jesus fulfills the law. You, you understand what I'm saying? I don't know. I got it all that. Um, let's see. How did I get it? Okay. Yeah, let's just read this. Now, he that ministers seed to the sower first, <laughs> both ministers bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of, of, of your righteousness. Now, here's the deal. Religion has gotten us to think that we are the source of our prosperity. You need to understand something. Every good gift comes from God. And every time you get seed, that is God responsible for that. It is God that ministers seed to you first, enabling you to be able to sow second. But if God doesn't minister seed to somebody says, well, what do I have to do in order to get God to minister seed to me? Be a sower. If you don't, if you're not, if you're not planning on being a sore, then God don't need to be ministering seed to somebody that ain't planning on being a sore. But if you plan on being a sore, God will minister seed to the sore. First, enabling you to sow. Somebody says, well, I would like to give, but, but, you know, I ain't got it right now. That's because you're thinking that you're the source of you getting your seed. And God is saying, I give seed to the sower. So I'll enable you to sow by giving seed to you. Opening up a job, opening up promotion, opening up favor, doing all the things that need to be done so he can minister seed. He ministers seed to you. He ministers forgiveness to you. He ministers love to you. He ministers the blessing to you. Everything you have and, and able to do is because of his administration of it to you. He ministers it into your life. Ministering it into your life. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, <laughs> let me see. Anybody got to use the bathroom? I, I can give you a bathroom break or we can just go on into the next hour. You good? You want to take a break? You good? This is like in Lagos. Huh? This is like in Lagos. <laughs> <laughs> Hungry, huh? Hungry, Jack. All right, now. <laughs> You, you have to deal with this issue in everything now. You cannot go around and preach before the cross and say, your sin is going down to the third and fourth generation. That's true if you're not born again. That's true if you're still living under the law and if you're still living before the cross. But the people who are not there anymore See, that's even rightly dividing what's happening there. You know, there's some, there's some, 
You know, somebody came to me. I teach this. Uh, I taught this series called Was I Born Like This? I think I'm the name of it. And it was addressing sexuality and sexual uh, choices and, and, and all that immorality and stuff. And, and somebody, somebody, you know, I've heard all my life people say, well, you know, you weren't born like that. And you weren't born like this. And you weren't born. And I thought, okay. Amen, 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 amen. Until God got me by the coattail and said, come here, let me show you something. He said, every man was born into sin. I said, yeah, thank Jesus, I know that. He said, no, you don't understand. Every man was born with a sin tendency. I said, Lord, what's that? He said... Some people are born with the tendency to be alcoholics. Some people are born with the tendency to somehow end up getting pregnant before they get married. Some persons are born with the tendency to be hooked on drugs. Some people are born with the tendency to get involved in in homosexuality. I said, what are you saying? He's saying, you don't understand what it means when I said people are born into sin. They're born into sin and they're born with the tendency of sin based on what family they came from and what was, what was the tendency of that family that came from. I said, so in actuality, they were born like that? He said, yeah. And I said, now, okay, so I said, so what's going on? I said, what's the solution? He said, the solution is still the same. Get born again. I said, okay, they get born again, but I meet people who say they get born again and they're still struggling with that. He says, exactly right. He said, the most important thing you can do as a sinner is to get born again. Once you get born again, the most important thing you do as a born again Christian is to renew your mind. And the reason why some people get born again and they continue on with that sin tendency is because they fail to renew their mind. Renewing the Can y'all just go with me just for a moment here? This is not going with my itinerary for today. Romans 6. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law. Oh, so under the law, sin dominates. Under the law, when a person decides to live life based on the requirements before the cross, and when he decides to live life based on the law, the only revival he's going to have is a sin revival. Romans chapter 7, that's the only revival you're going to have. Because when I tell you don't, 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 you're going to do, do, do. Watch this. Don't think about a pink elephant. 
You hear me? The law for right now is do not think about a pink elephant. What are you thinking about? <laughs> and when we get to the law, you're going to see what I'm talking about. But he says sin dominates people who are under the law. The law that came by Moses. He says, but it will not dominate you once you get under grace. So grace is not a license to sin. Grace removes you from the dominion of sin. So if a person is sinning and saying they're under grace, I say, no, you're not. Because if you were under grace, Titus 2 would kick in. And the book of Titus says that grace will teach you to live godly and righteous and holy. All right, now, but this is not my point. Here's my point. Now, here's it. Now, this is so good. We use the word flesh. And we just can't seem to identify. Now go to Romans chapter 6 and 1. Back up to verse 1. We use the word flesh. And, and what we do is we blame things on the flesh. And, and, and that is true. But we don't really know what it is. If you're not careful, you'll start looking at your body. Man is a spirit, right? He possesses a soul. Mind, will, and emotion, right? He lives in a physical body, right? All right, so what part of you got born again when you got saved? Your spirit, your spirit didn't, not only did your spirit get born again, your spirit is now an exact duplicate of Jesus as he is. So are we, your spirit is perfect. Your spirit is not only an exact duplicate, it is perfect. It is flawless and it is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You don't have to refresh it right before you die. You, it is, it is perfect. Flawless, flawless, flawless. You are seated with him in heavenly places. You ain't even got to ever think about or worry about getting in heaven. How are you going to be worrying about going somewhere you're already seated? All right, follow me now. Follow me now. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? So in other words, they're asking, so are we, do we sin more so we can get more grace? Look at verse two. I love this. God forbid. Now, I love these next three words. How shall we stop? Paul answers this as if what you're asking is no longer possible. Shall we continue in sin? He's answering it like, how can you? How shall we that are dead to sin live in? He's, he's, he's answering this like, how is that a possibility now? How is that a possibility? All right, now let me, let me give you this illustration. Uh, in place of an orange tree, I removed the root and I replaced it with an apple tree. I now have an apple root. And I ask you, well, can we, shall we continue to produce oranges? And what are you going to say to me? How can you? Why? We don't, we don't have, the, it's a different root. How do you do that? It's a different route. Well, isn't that what happened to us when we got born again? We were born into this world as children of the devil. You better know it. Cute little selfish baby. Children of the devil. <laughs> now, you know, I'm, 
Yeah, there's lots of little different ways you can go with that. Well, if you're a child and die, well, how come you go to heaven? Yeah, we get it. I'm, I'm trying to make a point. The point is this. Your spirit at that age of accountability has got to go away. It died. It was removed. The old man died, departed, and it was replaced with the new creation. The sin root you used to have is gone. The new creation root is now replaced the sin root. You have a new root. You have a new root. The sin root, a noun, person, place, or thing. Sinning, a verb, action. When you got born again, you lost the sin, noun, gone. The question is, if I have a new root, why am I still sinning the verb? Now, I don't want you to get all crunched up when I mention sin, so let me just make sure everybody feels inclusive, okay? <laughs> Number one, the Bible says whatever's done not of faith is what? Sin. That's everybody in the room. That's right. All of us have done something in unbelief or in doubt. That's everybody in the room. The Bible also says to know to do good and to do it not is what? Sin. Sin. Have you ever known to do good but didn't do it at the time? Or what about the sins that that are in the heart? Uh, You know, you say, well, uh, you know, God, uh, uh, I ask you, have you committed murder? You say, no, I've never murdered anybody. I say, have you ever hated anybody? You say, yeah, I have. I say, well, you're a murderer. <laughs> I say, you know, this is what Jesus did. I say, well, um, have you ever committed adultery? You said, no, I've never committed adultery on my wife. I say, have you ever looked at a woman in a funny kind of way? You say, yeah. I say, well, you committed adultery. <laughs> I say to you, um, has God told you to do something? Yeah, how long ago has it been? 20 years ago. Oh, sins of omission? <laughs> or I say to you, uh, when you were coming to church here and outside it's like 40. And, and how fast were you going? Well, 50. Oh, so, you know, you're breaking the laws of the land. So that's sin. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just kind of telling you that uh, as far as sin is concerned, That's a package that everybody in the room has. Okay? Because it doesn't have any measure. Now, what what, what has to happen is this. I don't have the sin nature anymore. And if I will renew the flesh, here it is, the flesh, my mind, my thinking. If I'll renew that with the word of God, then I'm going to produce a different kind of fruit. But the thing is, is I got to get the branch to line up with the root to produce a new kind of fruit. I got a new root. I just got to renew my branch with the new root to produce a new fruit. Renewing the mind is not a one time event. Renewing the mind is a lifetime process. So you're not a sinner saved by grace that's bipolarism you are 
you are saved by grace, you have a new creation, and you're not a sinner. That's, that's, that's bipolar, that's mixture. You are a new creation in the process of renewing your mind to produce new creation fruit. That's how that works. That's why you have to have more confidence in who you are in Christ's identity versus who you used to be in sin identity. Because your identity determines your behavior. And how you behave determines is based on who, who you believe you are. So if you still believe you are the sinner, then that's going to determine your sinful behavior. But the day you believe and renew your mind that I am a new creature in Christ Jesus, then that identity, that belief in your new identity will produce new behavior. We got to stop trying to modify behavior and teach people to believe their identity and your identity will determine your behavior. Now, you don't slowly become righteous. You are righteous the day you accepted Jesus Christ, the Lord of your life. You're righteous right now. So what happens? What is the part that takes the, the process part is, is you're slowly giving fruit of righteousness. But you're righteous now. The day you believe that, you can go ahead and produce the fruit of it. But if the enemy can get you to be condemned and to doubt and to be shameful about who you are, then who you believe you are will determine the kind of fruit you continue to produce. So this thing about, well, how can I be righteous of God and still sin? I just explained it to you. You are the righteousness of God even when you misbehave because you're still the righteousness of God and you'll stop misbehaving the day you realize you're the righteousness of God and renew your mind in righteousness and then you produce fruits of righteousness. But you're not a sinner because you sin. You are a sinner because you have the root of a sinner. Now that you've got the root of the sinner out of you, you are a new creation because you have a new root. You're not a sinner because you sin. What makes you a Christian? Christ in you makes you a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Praying don't make you a Christian. Reading the Bible don't make you a Christian. Jesus in you makes you a Christian. Amen. You're going to have to explain that to people because their condemnation is going to keep coming to you. Yeah, well, what about sin? Well, what about sin? Well, what about sin? You tell them if you want to get rid of the verb, renew your mind with the word. And the more you renew your mind, and believe that you are who Jesus said you are in him. The only time I can tell you I'm perfect is when I say in him I'm perfect. Because Colossians says in him I'm perfect. In him I'm righteous. In him I'm holy. I'm holy right now. I am holy right now. I am not holy based on the actions I do. I am holy based on who I am. The day I believe I'm holy based on who I am, I'll produce holy fruit. What's stopping the fruit is our lack of trust and faith. In who we are in Christ Jesus. It just changes. The stuff you are doing now, you ain't going to want to do. You're just not going to want to do because you keep renewing your mind. It's lining up with your new creation and you're just not interested in it. You can't hardly explain it to people. You're just like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Why? Because I got company right now and it's Jesus and and he's done everything and, and I believe everything he did and and praise God, I just, it's ne- sin just won't be enough. It, it, it's like eating a snack. It's, you, you just never get full off sin. Sin wants more, 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 more. You're just like, I, 
you know, my new creation is demanding more from me. Okay, so that's a little bit. It's just kind of sticking it in your head. So when you do go on your bathroom break, at least you got it rolling on the inside of you to at least ask questions about it to be able to, to get it out. How can you? I don't have the same root to produce what I used to produce. But what lacks is it was the flesh that did it. What's the flesh? An unrenewed mind. The flesh cussed her out. No, no, no. It's an unrenewed mind that cussed her out. I can say to you, that wasn't you. You'll say, well, who was it then? No, the real you is, is, is brand new creation. New creation doesn't do that. Well, what was it that cussed that laid out? Unrenewed mind, the flesh. You got in an unrenewed mind, you got in the flesh, and that flesh produced the fruit that it normally produces. So you have a new root, but you got to line the new root up with your thinking and then with your body, and then you get different results. But if you keep trying to live your life the same way, and it's used to it, I mean, you, 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 we have the residue of that old root, and it's still going to be there until we line everything up with that new root, and, and it won't stop. But your behavior is not who you are. Okay, let me set up the second session, um, and then we'll take a, a, a break. St. John chapter 1, verse 14 and 17. Let's set this second session up. St. John chapter 1, verse 14, and, and, and 14 first, and then verse 17. So we started off with rightly dividing. So here's another thing we have to rightly divide. You cannot leave this alone. Just like you saw if you, if you, and you saw, you saw that was a pattern of the old covenant. Even when Jesus was saying it, it was still a pattern of the old covenant. You can now identify that. You now know that's going to be the requirement before the law. I can't teach that as if Jesus had died to the cross. All I'm going to do is bring condemnation to people. And the place that people go to get condemnation is church. And we want to change that. We, we don't want to disqualify people when they come to church. We want to qualify them. You know, the shepherd's rod is not for beating the sheep. It was to use it to cast it to keep the wolves out. <laughs> now, look at this. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. Now, who's the only begotten of the father? Jesus. And Jesus was full of what? Truth. So grace and truth is not just a message. I have to use that term sometimes. I hate using it, the grace message. But grace and truth is more than a message. It's, it's more than a curriculum. Grace and truth is a person. Jesus is, is Jesus full of grace. Grace is a person. Grace is a person. Hallelujah. Not a curriculum, a person. Somebody said to me, I have a problem with that grace message. I said, well, you got a problem with Jesus. No, I don't have a problem with Jesus. Yes, you do. Look at verse 17. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. How can you not understand that that needs to be rightly divided? How can you not understand that you cannot ever walk away from this? 
Because this got to be a comparison in contrast between the law that was given by Moses and the grace and truth that came by Jesus. Our entire gospel is based on comparing and contrast verse 17. What about the law that was given by Moses? And how do you compare in contrast the grace and truth that came by Jesus? There is a difference. And so after the break, we're going to talk about how to rightly divide the truth between the law that came by Moses, grace and truth that came by Jesus Christ. There's a difference between Mount Zion and Mount Sinai. There's a difference between what uh, um, Ishmael's mama did (laughs) and what Isaac's mama did. We got to see that. And then now you begin to see the whole Bible come together. The Sabbath was never about a day. It was a shadow that led to Jesus who produced that shadow. And it's all about a rest. It's all about having trust and confidence in him and seeing him as your source. And when you can enter into that place of rest, then the manifestation shows up once you enter into the place of rest. It ain't about Saturday or Sunday. It's about have you confidence in what Jesus has already accomplished. And do you see him as your source for everything that you do? Let's take a bathroom break.